Amen. All right, I'm going to go Amen. ahead and start the recorder for those who may not be able to join us today here on oh, uh, Valentine's just Day. You. <laughs> yeah, no, I got, I've got it going. <laughs> good, good. Um, we want to uh, let me let me just share. Uh, I think kind of a, a wonderful Valentine's message uh -huh. here. Let me uh, uh -huh. let me play this. Let's uh, watch or, or listen. <laughs> So there's this holiday created to celebrate love. And it's got all the bells and whistles, candy, cards, a day for chocolate and flowers, outdoing the year before if I can help it. <laughs> there's this mad rush to the store and a haste to find the gift to express my affection for the one I just can't live without. Until alas, I find the perfect sentiment. <laughs> written by someone I don't even know. There's a different way to look at love, to share love beyond words, beyond sentiment, beyond a single day, a whole new way to look at the word love. See, Jesus showed us another way, how to stoop down and lift up the broken, make sure the last in life are treated like the first, Show the most favor to the least likely. Hang out with those that have nothing to offer me. Reach out and forgive, even when it's not asked for. Ask forgiveness, even when I don't think I need it. What a way to love, to give, not just from my pocket, but from my heart too. To love them beyond what they can produce. Like them for more than their talent. Hug them despite their social status. See, Jesus showed me the type of love that doesn't stick to a holiday, that speaks beyond a card, that blossoms long after a flower dies. That's the kind of love I want, I need, that I'll give, the type of love that overflows from the most amazing grace. I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, you're all welcome to unmute. John, I'll go ahead and unmute you there. Okay, so we're all back. All right. Uh, we begin today, Daniel 2, with verse 29, where we left off last week before a small little sporting event uh, somewhere in Florida. And it wasn't a good game, Mike. <laughs> It was what? You wanted a good game, <laughs> but it was a yeah. little one-sided. <laughs> it was a little one-sided, but you know, to watch um, Brady and Gronkowski, it's really poetry in motion. So although the score was bad, you got to see some legends, you know, so it wasn't, uh, I didn't get the halftime show though. I, I it totally passed me by, but anyway, Getting, getting back to Daniel, uh, we left off at uh, verse 29. By and the way, if anybody wants to see a phenomenal commercial, um, pull up the commercial about the adoption of the little girl. And um, it is a phenomenal message. What are you? What commercial are you talking it about, was Lori? In, um, it was in Toyota. The, uh, Toyota, oh. 
and it was in the Super Bowl, and you can probably pull it up online. And Lee, it is the most affirming, uh, pro-life, pro-adoption video or um, ad that's ever been run, and it is just heartwarming. Um, Look at it. commercial, yeah, yeah, definitely. I have a warm heart this morning anyway. I, I've i had a ton of company and different people from out of state. And it is so nice to have people in my home again. I was telling uh, Dave, I just love this because, you know, even though they still mask, most people have had vaccines and it's like, it's like freedom. I just have a warm feeling, even though I lost my sister-in-law last week to COVID. Mm, uh, mm. But it's so nice to be able to have people in again. Good, good. And, and I hope Dave's doing, continues to do better. He is. He's, he's still in pain. It's, it's a bigger surgery than he thought for him. But he's, he's, he's doing better. He's out walking now. He tries to walk for a half hour every day out in the park. Good. Yeah. That's so great. It's, life is good right now, and I'm appreciative. <laughs> How about all of you? It sounds like it anyway. Hello? Yeah, that was good. 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 It's all right, let's uh, let's pick up with verse twenty nine and uh, <laughs> let's let's see what happens. The rest of the story, as as Paul Harvey would say, um, excuse me. Remember, in our narrative here. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar has asked his wise men to tell them what his dream was, and his wise men be, wisely say, "You got to." This is the Douglas translation. You got to be kidding, King. No human can tell you that. Uh, maybe the gods could, but they're not here. And uh, Daniel is uh, brought by the king's high executioner, who was sent to kill Daniel and the wet rest of the wise men, and. Uh, the, the high executioner tells the king that this guy can interpret your dream, can tell you what the dream was and interpret it. And so Daniel asks King Nebuchadnezzar if he can have uh, 24 hours basically to ask God what the dream was. And so remember that night, Daniel, uh, uh, Meshach, uh, and uh, Abednego, and, and who did I miss? Shadrach. Uh all pray together. And we went through that little exercise of looking at, uh, at their prayer. So in the morning, uh, Daniel appears before the king, and uh, that's, where, uh, that's where we pick up. What's astounding here to me is that God is going to use this rapscallion, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar, to um, deliver a prophecy through Daniel to the Gentile world, all of the non-Jewish uh, people of the Babylonian Empire. God's plan for the Gentiles is about to be revealed through this crazy king. And it's, it's just a reminder that we need always need to, even in the craziness of what's surrounding us, we always need to look at what God is doing. Watch for his light and find out what he's doing and, and join him there wherever that, that might be. So here we go, verse 29. 
This is Daniel talking to King Nebuchadnezzar. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secret of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. Now, these are not spiritual truths that are going to be revealed through this dream. These are uh, prophetic, uh, these are prophecies about the future, coming events, the events that are going to affect the Gentile uh, the Gentiles from the time of King Nebuchadnezzar until Jesus comes back. So we're in that time, the time of the Gentiles, uh, actually. And if you remember, or maybe not, so I'm going to read it anyway, <laughs> Dr. Luke speaks of this time period called the time of the Gentiles, and he quotes Jesus in Luke 21, 23 to uh, 24. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days, for there will be disaster in the land and great anger against the people. They will be killed by the sword or sent away as captives to all the nations of the world. And Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles until the period of the Gentiles comes to an end. Now, there's a worthwhile note here, if, if you took notice. Daniel takes no personal credit. He takes no glory for being able to accurately state what King Nebuchadnezzar's dream was and for the ability to interpret it. Notice Daniel gives humbly gives God all the credit and pointed the king and the court towards God, not himself. <clears throat> and I think that's a great lesson learned. You know, I've had boards try to push me over, over time to um, market ABC and, and franchise ABC. And, and you know, there, there's a point to that because people have to know who you are if they're going to give. But there, I think the bigger point is to serve humbly and to always point people to God in terms of, of what we do. So verse 30 is is where this really comes out and it is not because i am wiser than anyone else that i know the secret of your dream but because god wants you to understand what was in your heart would have been so easy for daniel to say see i was able to tell you your dream and interpret it and and to take the glory for himself but he did not he remained very humble and and he pointed the king uh towards god and and noted that, that, that God let Daniel know the dream because God wanted Nebuchadnezzar to understand uh, what was in his heart and what was in the heart of God. So verse 31, in your vision, your majesty, you saw standing before you a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold its chest and arms were silver, its belly and thighs were bronze, its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. Now, Daniel's going to in interpret all of this shortly, but it's interesting to notice that in the dream, King Nebuchadnezzar, at first look, is pretty 
puny in size and presence compared to this frighteningly huge and and glorious and intimidating statue of a man. Now watch what happens here. Verse 34. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. So imagine your King Nebuchadnezzar here. Daniel has just revealed accurately down to the minutest detail your dream. Now, if you're Nebuchadnezzar, you're thinking, I didn't tell anyone about this. And yet Daniel has accurately revealed the dream just as I saw it. Now, this 19 or 20-year-old kid you kidnapped Mr. Nebuchadnezzar from Judah tells you the dream exactly as you heard it. Don't you think you'd be impressed even if you were King Nebuchadnezzar? And I don't know what was going through his mind at that moment, but whatever it was, it's interesting how he responds. Verse 36, that was the dream. Now we will tell the king what it means. Your majesty, you are the greatest of kings. The God of heaven has given you sovereignty, power, strength, and honor. He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under his, uh, your control. Now, here's the, here's the key phrase here. You are the head of gold. So King Nebuchadnezzar, as he looks at the fearsome giant man with the head of gold, Daniel says, you, Nebuchadnezzar, are that head of gold. Now, remember the dream. You saw a man standing before you, a huge shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of gold. So Daniel is telling Nebuchadnezzar, you are that gold head. That is you, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, by background, remember that Nebuchadnezzar's father, had captured Babylon and became king. But it was Nebuchadnezzar that expanded the uh, Babylonian empire to world domination or known world domination, so to speak. Now, this is very interesting. Think back to Genesis, which you probably remember well. Listen to verse 38 again through the lens of Genesis and the creation story. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. Does that sound vaguely familiar? Let me go back to Genesis 1.26 and read it. Then God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. They will reign over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, the livestock, all the wild animals on earth and the small animals that scurry along the ground. Now here are Daniel's words to the king. 
He has made you ruler over all the inhabited world and has even put the wild animals and birds under your control. So essentially, God has now used this crackpot nutcase, that's a theological term, Nebuchadnezzar, to literally fulfill the creation purpose of man. He has made you the ruler over all the inhabited world and has put even the wild animals and birds under your control. And my, my point in bringing that up is that we need to be very careful about discerning where God is in the midst of the crises that we face. In the deepest, in the darkest times, God's light is always present and he is always at work. And the challenge is for us not to allow the nature of the chaos and the darkness to blind us to the work that God is doing in the midst of the mess. So notice that Daniel tells King Nebuchadnezzar that all of his glorious rule was not of Nebuchadnezzar's making or his efforts, but by God's design. So as we move along, keep in mind that this dream is God's way of letting King Nebuchadnezzar and all the Gentile world know what is physically and historically going to happen to the non-Jewish world between then and the time Jesus comes back. This is monumental. Daniel's going to unfold via this dream the succession of world empires following the Babylonian Empire. So, I know we went over this uh, in, in our study of Revelation, but let, let's go back and, and review this if we could. In history, there have been six great empires throughout world history. Number one is the Egyptian Empire. Two is the Assyrian Empire. Three is where we are right now, the Babylonian Empire. The fourth is the Medo-Persian Empire. Remember when King Cyrus came in and, and, and uh, defeated uh, Babylon? The fifth is the Grecian Empire. And the sixth is the Roman Empire. So there are really uh, four, if you count Medo-Persian as, as separate ones, there's really four empires that, that follow the Babylonian Empire. And uh, so as we're experiencing this dramatic scene with Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar, we're in the third world empire with Medo-Persia, Greece, and Rome to follow. Now watch for each one now as we go through this passage. This is interesting. Verse 39, but after your kingdom comes to an end, another kingdom inferior to yours will rise to take your place. Now remember, the head of the statue was made of gold. That's King Nebuchadnezzar in the Babylonian Empire. Its chest and arms were silver. That's the Medo-Persian Empire. In the dream, it's represented, the Medo-Persian Empire is represented by the chest and arms that are made of silver. Why silver? I remember King Cyrus conquered Babylonia in, in uh, 539 BC, and it ended the 87-year rule of the Babylonians. 
the Medo-Persian Empire actually lasted longer. It lasted over 200 years, but it was never as powerful as the Babylonian Empire and the final chapter under King Nebuchadnezzar's rule. So why silver? Why gold to represent the head, King Nebuchadnezzar? Why silver representing the chest and arms of the Medo-Persian uh, Empire? Well, we're going to find out in, in just a moment, and it has to do with the nature of those two minerals. So after that kingdom has fallen, the Medo-Persian Empire, a third kingdom represented, represented by bronze, will rise to rule the world. And that would be the Grecian Empire, led by Alexander the Great, with a takeover that spanned about four years from 334 to 330 B.C. Now, the conquests of Alexander the Great far exceeded King Nebuchadnezzar's. Uh, if you remember, Alexander extended into uh, parts of India. In the dream, Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire are depicted this way. Its belly and its thighs were bronze. So that represents Alexander the Great and the Grecian Empire. So look at the progression again. We have the Babylonian Empire represented by gold, the head. The Mersian, uh, Mersian, the Medo-Persian Empire, uh, the chest and arms of silver, and the Grecian Empire, bronze. And here's how you track it. Verse 32, head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Now another sixth empire rises up. Number six on our uh, hit list of six, it's the Roman Empire. Verse 40, following that kingdom, there will be a fourth one as strong as iron. That kingdom will smash and crush all previous empires, just as iron smashes and crushes everything it strikes. So the Roman Empire, and again, this dream is accurate, the Roman Empire crushed the Grecian Empire in 63 B.C., all right, so let's follow the progression again in verse 32. Head of the statue was made of fine gold, Babylonia. Its chest and arms were silver, Medo-Persian Empire. Its belly and thighs were bronze, the Grecian Empire. Its legs were iron and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. That's the Roman Empire. Now, this is a curious description of, of the Roman Empire. And it's really in two phases, if you notice. There's one phase that's iron, where it crushes the previous empires, and then iron mixed with clay. And the metaphor describes the fact that Rome never attained great unity in its empire throughout the world, despite its breadth and width, which, which was huge. Due to the variety of... of cultures and people groups there never was complete unity in the roman empire and and rome experienced a variety of disintegrations due to the lack of moral character and moral decline there was a clash of ruling uh philosophies between imperialism and democracy mob rule occurred uh, mobs rose up in the Roman Empire. And again, the mix of diverse cultures and diverse races created a, 
a natural dynamic tension against unity across the whole empire. Now let's uh, let's take a look at why in this dream God used this metaphor of mixing iron and clay to describe the decline of the Roman Empire. When you mix two metals together and you superheat them, an alloy is formed. And that alloy, and John knows this, this is kind of in his, his uh, purview. When you take two metals, you superheat them and you mix them together, they form an alloy which is typically stronger than the two original metals. That's the purpose of creating an alloy. But iron and clay don't mix. You can burn up and you can superheat iron and clay in the hottest fire you can create, and iron and clay don't form an ally, uh, uh, form an alloy. They don't mix. What you wind up is with superheated iron with typically a clay shell around it that ultimately shatters. So you mix iron and clay, there's, there's no mix, there's no alloy, there's, there's no stronger creation than the iron and certainly not the clay. So the point is that the mixture of iron and clay depicts the eventual decline of the Roman Empire because the clay begins to disintegrate around the iron. And it leaves the iron, which has been superheated now, and with no other metal to mix with, the iron now is weaker than it originally was. So you see the progression in the metaphor. The Roman Empire, originally described as iron, crushes all previous empires, but then it's like a mix of iron and clay. And when that gets superheated, the iron gets weak, the clay crumbles, and eventually the empire itself uh, crumbles itself. Does, does that make sense? Yeah. Kind of, sort of? All right. So let's, uh, <clears throat> let's look at verse 41. The feet and toes you saw were a combination of iron and baked clay, showing that this kingdom will be divided. Like iron mixed with clay, it will have some of the strength of the iron. But while some parts of it will be as strong as iron, other parts will be as weak as clay. This mixture of iron and clay also shows that these kingdoms will try to strengthen themselves by forming alliances through each other through intermarriage but they will not hold together just as iron and clay do not mix. So the Roman Empire really was destined to fall. And uh, when you have a homogeneous uh, empire where everyone is, most everyone is of one race, Chinese or, <clears throat> or Japanese or Taiwanese or uh, East Indian, um, you name it, when you have a homogeneous uh, people group, it's easier to have unity because you're all basically of the same race and the same customs and, and such. But when you have this great diversity, it is very, very difficult to achieve unity 
because you have these clashes of backgrounds and races and cultures. And, and that and uh, the Roman Empire, because of, of the debauchery that, that it became known for, uh, it, 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 that too had a hand in bringing down the empire. So we're seeing God's plan for the Gentile world rolled out through King Nebuchadnezzar's dream as interpreted by Daniel here. Now, the kingdom of God, as we, now we're going to proceed here and, and notice how Christ and the kingdom of God is depicted. Jesus Christ is depicted as a rock cut from the mountain that smashes the remnant of the big man in King Nebuchadnezzar's dream. All right, here we go, verse 44. <clears throat> During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands that crushed to pieces the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. All right, so let's go back in the dream sequence, and now that we know that Jesus is the rock and the kingdom of God is the mountain uh, that crushes the other empires, Let's watch how, in this dream, God's kingdom is established by Christ over everything else. It's for in verse 34. Just to go back and, and watch this now that we know Jesus is, is, the, uh, is the rock cut from the mountain. Verse 34. As you watched, a rock was cut from the mountain, but not by human hands. So he's saying, this is God at work. This is a super natural, not a natural event. It struck the feet of iron and clay, the Roman Empire, and smashed it to bits. The whole statue, that's from head to chest and arms, to belly, to thighs, to feet and toes, head and shoulders, knees and toes, uh, the whole thing. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. Remember, the, uh, the, 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 the wheat would be thrown up in the air and on the threshing floor, and, and the, chaff, the chaff that was not needed would be blown away and carried away uh, by the wind, le leaving what was needed. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. So Jesus is the rock, and he defeats the enemies of God, and he establishes his kingdom over all the earth, represented by the mountain. Now, what's interesting <clears throat> is to see how Nebuchadnezzar reacts to the news. I would have thought that knowing that his kingdom was going to be replaced, King Nebuchadnezzar perhaps was not going to be too happy with this. But look, look what happens. Look, look, look how this rolls out. Verse 46. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. 
And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. The king said to Daniel, Truly, your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Verse 48, then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. At Daniel's request, the, long appoint, uh, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. Don't you think this is amazing reaction by King Nebuchadnezzar? Uh, I think it's out of character. Essentially, he gives <clears throat> Daniel the same honor that Nebuchadnezzar would have given pagan gods, and he, he falls down and he worships Daniel. But in the midst of his misunderstanding of who Daniel was uh, in terms of worshiping Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar appears to have a moment of clarity about who God is, this God of Daniel being the true God, right? Verse 47, the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, the revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal the secret. So God leverages this relationship between King Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel to elevate Daniel along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into powerful positions of influence in the royal court. Again, the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all his wise men. I wonder what Daniel did with that. Wouldn't that be interesting? A bunch of phonies, a bunch of charlatans, and uh, this 19, 20-year-old kid now is in charge of all of them. At Daniel's request, again, Daniel is leveraging this relationship that he has with King Nebuchadnezzar to very boldly and freely ask that the king appoint Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remains in the king's court. So now remember in chapters 2 through 7, which we're in now, basically it's a chronology of the Gentiles, the future of the Gentiles. And remember, that's why basically chapters 2 through 7 are written in uh, Aramaic. That was the language of uh, the commercial language of Babylon, as English would be uh, the commercial language of, of much of the world today. So Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are now positioned to be God's influencers over the Gentiles. And at this point, remember, it's about 603 BC now, three years. Remember, Daniel was taken captive in about 606 when he was probably around 16 years old. And the majority of the Jews, though, at this point, now, now remember, he was taken captive in 606. He was put through, along with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, through three years of, of deprogramming, so to speak, to take away their Jewishness 
King Nebuchadnezzar thought and make them into Babylonian administrators. So they've ended that three-year period, that training period. It's now 603 BC, but the majority of Jews are still in Judah. Remember, when Nebuchadnezzar raided Jerusalem in, uh, in 606, he took the nobles captive, these noble young men, Daniel and, and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and brought them back. But that was his first foray. That was his, his first challenge to uh, Jerusalem. And so at this point, most of the Jews in Judah are still there. They've not been ta taken captive yet. They've not been brought into Babylon. So God not only has put Daniel, Shadrach, and Meshach, and Abednego in the positions they're in to speak into, as God's voice, the Gentile world, but he's put them in place so that when the Jews are taken captive and brought into Babylon, into exile, they have some advocates in the king's court. Their fellow Jews are, are now, now have high influence. So you see what God is doing here. He's, he's operating <clears throat> on multiple levels. And again, I, I stress this point that we always need to look for where God is working and not allow the chaos of the moment to overcome us or defeat us. Always need to pray for God. Where, where are you in this? Where, I want to look for that little glimmer of, of your light. Where are you so that I can join you in your work? It's going to be 17 years or so until the Jews of Judah are captured and brought into Babylon. So that will happen in, um, in, two, <clears throat> in two succeeding forays into uh, Judah in 597 and then in 586 BC. So 597 is the second assault on Jerusalem and they bring back some captives and then in 586 King Nebuchadnezzar makes his final uh, conquest of Jerusalem and that final assault in 586 BC is where he brings the rest of the Jews in Judah back to Babylon as captives. So the clock, remember the 70 years uh, in Babylon in captivity, that's when the clock actually starts for that 70 years. It's in uh, 586 BC. Now you may be saying to yourself, well, now wait a minute. If King Cyrus invaded Babylon and conquered them in 539. That's not 70 years. You're right. So when does that 70 years end? It ends, that clock stops ticking at the time that the Jews return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding the city and the temple in 516 BC. All right, so the clock starts ticking on that 70 years in 586 BC which is King Nebuchadnezzar's final conquest in Judah, final sacking of Jerusalem. That's when the clock of the 70-year captivity begins. That clock stops, not when Cyrus comes and releases the captives, 
but it's when the captives actually begin rebuilding Jerusalem in 516 BC. So if you're doing your math and you're in your heads and you're going, no, wait a minute, that doesn't add up. That's why. Okay. Is that, I hope I didn't make that unclear. Too complicated. <laughs> it's too complicated. All right. So anyway, I was doing the math at 2.30 in the morning and it didn't make sense to me. And that's why. That's why. So it's 586 is when the final conquest of Judah occurs and all of the Jews then are taken captive in Babylon. The 70 years then does not end in 539. That's not 70 years. The 70 years ends in 516 BC when the Jews actually return to Jerusalem to begin rebuilding. So not only are, <clears throat> are Daniel and his friends positioned to be God's influencers for the pagan <laughs> Gentile world of the Babylonians, but God is put them in place for the exiles as they begin to uh, come into Babylon as captives. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are, are there to provide at least some, uh, some friendly uh, faces. Um, and then, uh, and we're going <clears> to <throat> conclude a little bit early to let you ask questions and, and such, because we're at the end of Daniel 2 now, believe it or not. A quick, I want to go over a timeline of events because some of these dates can get confusing. And it's not about the dates, but I just want to give you the order in which things are happening. So you have a timeline in your mind of what's happening here in Daniel. 612, the Babylonians <clears throat> basically conquer the Medes and conquer uh, Assyria. In 605, the Babylonians battle the Egyptians and win. In 605, Nebuchadnezzar becomes king of Babylon. In 605, 606 or so, the first uh, waves of uh, the Babylonians enter Judah, and they uh, defeat uh, the Jews of Judah, and, uh, and they take over Jerusalem. And so around 605, 606 is when Daniel is taken captive as a noble person and brought to Babylonia. Now, the Babylonians are still under Nebuchadnezzar. They're, they're still increasing their empire. They, they battle Egypt and, uh, and, and win, although both sides are suffering losses. So in 601... Judah, and this is interesting, Judah decides to align with Egypt. And this is where Jeremiah, the Jeremiah story comes in. And, and uh, Jeremiah warns them of, of the impending doom. 597, remember King Jehoiakim, he becomes king of Judah. In 597, the Babylonians capture Jerusalem the second wave of, of, of Jews are taken out of Babylon to Judah. Ezekiel is taken captive, and he's taken to Babylon. Zedekiah, 597, became, becomes the king of Judah. Ezekiel, 593, begins to prophesy. 586 is the final foray into uh, Jerusalem and into Judah. This is where Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians destroy Jerusalem. They destroy the temple. 
and the walls of Jerusalem and its gates are burned with fire. So this marks that final wave of the Jews being taken captive and being brought back to Babylon. And so the, uh, the end of the monarchy of Judah ends in 586 B.C. with that third and, and final assault that Nebuchadnezzar leads on Judah. And then, and again, this is part of the dream that, that Daniel gave Nebuchadnezzar. In 539 B.C., King Cyrus comes in and he defeats the uh, Babylonian Empire. And uh, Cyrus decrees that Jews should be allowed to return to Jerusalem. And in 516, the Jews return to Jerusalem, begin to rebuild the temple and the city. And that marks the end of the 70 years of Babylonian captivity. All right. So, so there's the order of, of what's happening. I don't know if you would like a list of those dates. If you would, I'll be happy to, um, to email those to you and, and John to mail it to you. But anyway, I think it's important that we remember um, the timeline there, especially in terms of when the captives were taken captive and when that final group of captives was brought back to, uh, brought back to Babylon. So if I haven't um, Mike, thoroughly confused you, yes, go ahead. I have to be, I, I feel very ignorant here. The um, Babylonia, the, the city, um, where is the, where it once was, where is it today? It, it is nowhere today. It's gone. I mean, it is there any evidence at all? No. Uh, it is, um, it is close to Baghdad, where Baghdad is today, uh, will be close. It will rise again, as we learned in Revelation. Babylon will rise again and re be rebuilt as a city. And it will become basically the center of anti-godness <laughs> and, uh, and evil. But uh, where it was in ancient times... Um, Sandra is roughly uh, uh, south of where, where Baghdad is today. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. so where did King Cyrus come from? Uh, King Cyrus uh, basically came from the, um, I, I guess you would call it Persia at that time. He would come from the east, uh, the Medo-Persian uh, Empire. And he's going to waltz in under God's authority and do away with the Babylonian Empire. Um, Cyrus is an interesting character. He's not anti-God, but I, I wouldn't say that he is 100% in, in God's camp. Uh, but like a, a lot of other characters throughout human history, God uses him to accomplish God's will. And that decree by Cyrus that allowed the, uh, the Jews to, re, to, to uh, leave Babylon and return to Jerusalem is one of the greatest historic events of all time. 
So, so Cyrus basically sweeps in uh, from from the east, from the Medo-Persian <laughs> Empire of the time. So, are you and talking we'll, Iran? We'll look at him. Yes, Iran. That's correct. All right. Any other observations, questions, confusion? Okay. So, last the last question. Ezekiel then was taken. Ezekiel is written from Babylon. Ezekiel was born in Jerusalem, about the same age as Daniel, uh, but he was taken into captivity on that uh, third wave of Nebuchadnezzar's siege of Jerusalem, so about 586. So uh, Daniel was already uh, in power, in position, uh, appointed to his positions in Babylon when Ezekiel arrived. So uh, Ezekiel, about the same age, and he did write his prophecies in Babylon uh, during the Babylonian captivity. And, and that's why, you know, that, that, that gets confusing because of our canonicity of Scripture. Our, especially our Old Testament canon is not chronological. And that's why I went over these dates, because we have to understand that, you know, Ezekiel is fitting in there. Jeremiah is fitting in there. And so uh, as we proceed through Daniel, uh, we'll continue to make some of those references so we can see that some of these heroes of the faith are there. Some of them are operating around the same time, uh, many times for different purposes, but they're all operating around the same time frame. And so we tend to think, well, you know, in, in the book, well, wait a minute, it's uh, Isaiah, Jeremiah, you know, Ezekiel, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and, uh, and, and then, you know, then, then we move on to some of the other minor prophets. Uh, no, the chronology in your Bible is not the historical chronology. It's the canon of Scripture, the way it's arranged for us. And so what we have to do is we have to go back and realize that a lot of this stuff was happening simultaneously. And so we need to remember that uh, uh, Ezekiel and Jeremiah are all fitting into this general time frame of Daniel. And, and it's, it, it, it gets confusing, but it's important to remember that, that the chronology of the Bible, the books of the Bible that we have is not the chronology of, of the way it went down. A lot of things were happening uh, at the same time. Well, and I think we learned that as we studied uh, Paul. Yes. Um, the, the New Testament is also not a chronology, obviously. Exactly right. Yeah, we, we, we noted that when we started out with Acts. Yeah, that uh, the actual order that the, the books were written, that the, the epistles, is not the order in which Paul wrote them. And, and so it is with the Old Testament as well. And so that's, that's good to remember. Any other, uh, I, I hope I haven't confused you all. I'm trying to make it as flowing and as simple as possible, but it's, it is complex. It is. Please laughing at me. Please well, laugh it, at me. uh, I, I am laughing at you, Mike, but with you, not at you. <laughs> All right. It doesn't, it isn't really flowing, 
but it makes sense. Uh, does that make sense? You know, yeah, it, it, I it can't flow because of the different time frames. Right. <laughs> right. And remember, we saw that in Revelation. Remember, yes. once we get yes. to about chapter 12 or so, John is, John is kind of hitting the pause button and he's providing the sidebars. He's providing the details of different events that were occurring, some of them at the same time. Yes. So, you know, there's that portion of, of, of uh, Revelation that is not in chronological order. John had to stop and say, okay, now let me fill in the blanks and let me give you the details. Let me give you the, I'm, I'm still stuck in football season. Let me give you the color commentary, <laughs> <laughs> the, the stories behind the stories of, of what was going on. So yeah, good, good observation, Lee, right, right on the money. Okay. Uh, any other comments, any other questions? All right. Next week. We will begin Daniel 3. It's going faster than Revelation did, but we'll, we'll, we'll get, when we get into the days of Daniel. Um, it's very interesting, Mike, though. It, it is very interesting. And I think it's worthwhile to take the time to parse it and to go slowly through it so that we catch all of the all of those details and, and, you know, versus just reading through it because it makes, I, so I, I don't think we, sense. yeah, I don't think we get the, the full significance of what's going on, you know, like uh, the significance of, of Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, not, not only speaking into the Gentile world and telling the Gentile world world, this is your future. This is your, uh, and they didn't say Jesus Christ because they didn't know Jesus Christ yet. But essentially what, what Daniel is saying and, and what we just said was Gentiles, including us, non-Jews, this is your future until the Messiah comes. And, and, and so they gave the Gentiles fair warning, uh, you know, straighten up and fly right as, as the old song went. <laughs> And of course, some did, some didn't. But and then the the nuance that Daniel and and his friends are there setting policy, ready for their fellow Jews to come back uh, as as captives. I mean, you just see God working at so many levels here. And I just bring it back to you know I can be overcome by the mess in front of me, and not look for where God is working. And I'm I'm disciplining myself to pray okay, I see the mess. Where are you? Sh show me where you're working so I can see it. And so I can be part of that. And I, I, that, that's one of the major lessons uh, I think I'm taking away thus far from Daniel. That's such a profound statement too, to see where God is working in the, the midst of the chaos and the mess. And you think, how can God be in this? And then you see that he is, you know, in the street, it comes in sideways. Yes. And, and sometimes it's hard to see unless you're praying into it to look for it. As Dr. Michael Wright often says, God's up to something. And uh, we don't want to miss that. I don't want to miss that. Anyway. Well, you know, okay. if, I think if uh, 
if we are looking at just the circumstances, the chaos, what's that we become part of the problem, not part of the answer. That's mm. true, Anne. That's yeah. really true. Yeah. That I I just struggle with that when I find myself just thinking, what is wrong with you? I think more about what's wrong with you guys, not if God is working. I just think, <laughs> why can't you stop and look at God other than <laughs> you know, yeah. yeah. God's doing something? I mean. <laughs> You mean well, us and, or you or all of us? <laughs> people, people in general, people. not you. <laughs> yes, I, okay. <laughs> and don't you think that's the enemy's plan? Oh, definitely. Is to get us so overwhelmed that we we don't look for God? Yeah, yeah. yeah I oh, think yeah. you're right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And most people are overwhelmed right now, good and bad and indifferent. Yep. They are. I hear that every day. I am so overwhelmed. Don't mm -hmm. you? Yes. Well, I don't get over. I haven't been overwhelmed. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you haven't, Anne. But if you listen to, as a matter of fact, that word, I've heard it twice from two different people today. I'm so overwhelmed. Yeah. And well, I understand. You know, yeah. I, I have heard it from people that has to work and do their children and all that. But as far as. I mean, for me, I figure if this is the way it is, I just go along through the day. Um, you know what the antidote for that is? The antidote for that is to give thanks for just find things to repeatedly yeah, give. You know, little tiny mm -hmm. things that, you know, yeah. whatever you can think of and give thanks. That's the antidote for that. Yeah. And, and that's part of that process, Sandra, of looking for where God is working. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Good. Yeah. Good point, everybody. All right. Any well, other? I think uh, the overwhelmed thing also, uh, just aside from what's going on in life now, but when I get overwhelmed, I usually write it down and break it down. Okay. Mm. You know, what can I take care of? What do I need to take care of it today? Um, those kind of things. So I sort of learned how to take care of how to organize it so I'm not overwhelmed. I have a friend that has to get rid of a lot of stuff in her house. She tells me every day she's overwhelmed. Yeah. So she's overwhelmed, but it has nothing to do with what's going on in the world. <laughs> right, right. She's you just know, physically so I, overwhelmed. I don't yeah. know if you can. Can you hear me? I don't know if yep. my microphone's yes, open or not. Yeah, um, we can hear one you. of the things that I also think <laughs> It's interesting about this is it's a it's a repeat of how God has um, done previously. He sent Joseph ahead uh, in mm -hmm. yes. uh, to uh, to be there for his family. Um, he also had Moses um, there, um, and yep. uh, interesting how some of the big names. Of scripture, um, God did this exact thing, uh, put them in places so that they were there for the Jews. That's a great observation. You, yeah. you get an extra piece of Valentine candy today oh, for that okay. one. That's a good one. Well, and I think that's back to what Pastor Mike says: is look to see where God is working. They were doing what God called them to do, whether it was 
not eat from his table or not bow down to worship or whatever it was, they were looking at where God was working. Yes. And they weren't looking at why are they acting like that? Why are they, why don't they, you know, all of this stuff that I have to say, because I don't get overwhelmed, I sometimes think I am on the total wrong track because <laughs> I'm not overwhelmed like everybody else is. And I think maybe something's wrong with me. Well, I, and let me, let me just offer a, a thought on that, Ann. You are very familiar with the process of recovery. Yeah. Which involves parsing things, taking them apart and identifying sections that need to be handled yeah. and how you handle. You have the benefit of that. Yeah. And I, I think that is why, um, why, why you process that so well. Uh, one thought and I, I was talking to Dr. Michael Wright about this, a lot of the angst and overwhelmness and, and such is because of radical change and loss yeah. of control. And yeah. our natural reaction to change and loss of control is fear. And fear feeds being overwhelmed. And there's a lot of change. There are a lot of things yeah. that are no longer under our control. Uh, you know, we, we just can't do some yeah. things that we, yeah. so I think, I think that probably plays into it as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Michael, do you think anything's under our control? I think we think <laughs> we have control of things or we try, but really there isn't anything that's under our control. If you think about it, I mean, things can change in a second in every area. Well, what we have control over is our response to yeah. external stimuli. Yes. Yeah. yes. That's what we have control over. A lot of people are inexperienced or have never learned that. Yeah. Because right. they allow other people to make their choices for them. And so when they're <laughs> faced with, I don't like someone else making that choice for me now that I used to be able to make for myself. Yeah. That's where we get into that change and, and, and such. So it comes and, and it comes back to, uh, you know, the, the, the whole issue of choosing not to be offended. Um, Jesus chose not to be offended and I went love to the that. cross for us. Yeah. 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 And, but that takes a lot of spiritual maturity. Uh, yeah. I, <laughs> I was in a, uh, led a online board meeting of an organization I'm part of down in Southern California yesterday morning. And, and one of the issues was the president of that organization has learned none of this. Um, and vapor locks and lives in a Disneyland-esque bubble when there is external stimuli that is not according to plan and, and really lives out a fairy tale instead of dealing with reality. I'll come back to Anne. Uh, Anne, you, you have a lot of experience. You've been trained how to deal with reality uh, through uh, recovery processes, 12 mm -hmm. steps, et cetera. 
not everybody has that benefit. I know, <laughs> you know, and, and that, but, but that speaks well of, of how you've, you know, learned to process that, but not everybody is, is equipped yeah. that way. Yeah. Well, I have to tell you my hardest thing about that. I process all those things, but when I come across people that have not a clue of recovery, I just don't know how to process that. Uh, <laughs> that I, 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 I understand. Yeah. <laughs> there's, I think it's because there's more people that don't know it than do know it. <laughs> You're right. You're exactly right. right. And yeah. so it ends up being, I mean, right now I probably, you know, to pick up the phone and call somebody today in my circle, I probably only have one person that would know what I was talking about. The yep. others, I have to, I almost have to walk. I hate this. I would say like on eggshells. I yep. have to be careful what I say. Yep. Oh, no. Of course, I learned in Al-Anon, that's not good. But still, right. if you're with, talk to people, you, you can't just, me, I share who I am and what I think. And in a little bit, I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah, we... Uh... <laughs> It's almost like I'm right there with you, Ann. It's to, I speak a different language than most people. It's sort of like yes. I came from a different planet. <laughs> yeah. Well, your your words mean different things. Yeah. Than yeah. other people's understanding. Yeah. Yeah. And that that's true. Okay. Well, we're quite a bit over time here, but uh, how about uh, Lee? Would you? Uh, would you like to close us in prayer? And even if you wouldn't like it, would you do it? <laughs> no, I would love it. I love to pray. <laughs> All right. Good night. Father, we come before Hello. you today. We thank you for this lesson. And we thank you for Mike's hard work. And Lord, I sincerely pray for all my brothers and sisters in this class. It's it's a beautiful class. And Father, I pray for all of their children, all their grandchildren. And I just would love to pray too. I know that Lori's working hard and, and uh, Sandra, John, Anne, Brenda, uh, Lori and Mike. I pray for provision, peace mm -hmm. of mind, and just a beautiful week for them. And I pray for good health, Lord. We thank you so much for your answers to prayer. We thank you for the faces of our beautiful friends and family, Lord. And, and just be with them and be with our country and everyone that guides us. And Lord, give us all wisdom and love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 John, did you have a comment? Bye -bye. Yeah. John. Hi, John. <laughs> Go ahead. Hi. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. I'm ready to roll here with this. Um, okay. What and and getting overwhelmed and getting overwhelmed, we all see things a little different. Good thing we do. And learning for me to being overwhelmed when uh it's a choice. It's a choice that you make to get overwhelmed. It's a choice. You're listening to the news. You're listening to Fred down the street or Joanne or Martha, and they're all worked up and sweating over a deal, um, upset about everything. It's a choice. It's a choice that you can make. And sometimes, and he says this, find a hole somewhere, go crawl in it, go shut the door, such as that. 
and just say, Lord, all this stuff is coming at me. I can't handle all these. I got my Cortez suit on, but it's not stopping these bullets. It's, uh, we're we're going to shut it down, Lord. Just help me to shut it down and concentrate on what you want for me and how to handle the situation. Don't get upset about everything because you know what? Ten hours later, you forget what you were upset about. And you'll be on something else getting upset. Um, right. So I'm I'm learning that at, at my young age, and I'm still young, believe it or not. <laughs> Just because my hair is white, don't mean I'm not. <laughs> so that's that's how I look at it. Stop and just say, Lord Jesus, I'm I'm just I'm just getting overwhelmed. I'm starting to sweat here. I'm getting panicky, and what am I getting panicky over? You're running the operation. These people out here are running the operation in their opinion, but you're running the show. Just help me to understand and absorb and be patient and be kind with what I'm saying and pray for those stumble bums out there that are going crazy. Amen. Well, and we might be the stumble bums and not know it. I, I do the same. We all do the same thing. And, and I just got to shut the door. Man, boom, shut that. I got a big valve. And on that valve, as I start to get excited, I start squeezing that valve down, shutting it down, slower and slower. It's like going down a steep mountain and you're on the brakes all the time. Pretty soon they get hot. They start to fade. Now you're on a 5'11". You're on a 9'11 running down the hill. Um, I just get that valve and I start squeezing that puppy down slower and slower and slower. So everybody's got a way to help themselves out of it, but I'm not going to get all worked up in a sweat over all these hooligans and their all their crazy ideas. Jesus has got the right idea. That's the one I want to go by. Amen. Amen. There you go. Amen. All right. Uh, Lori, uh, in your question about Cyrus, did you say, did you mention uh, Iran? Yes. Yeah, yeah, that's that's, that's the general area that Cyrus came from, yes, right. So it's interesting that in the Revelation, again, it will be Iran, uh, along with China and Russia, um, that will be the um, uh, on the forefront. Interesting that they are, again, in history. Yep. All right, team. Uh, next week, Daniel three, and uh, okay. we'll we'll continue it. Okay. Okay. Hey, thank Thanks, you. everyone. Blessings on Blessings, you. Everybody. Have a great okay, week. And you too. Bye. All bye. right. Bye bye.